if I walk into a room, I couldn't tell you if there's Wi-Fi there because I just don't have the ability to pick up on that. I have a tool, my phone, that would be able to read, are there Wi-Fi signals here? Because my phone has those receptors. But the fact that I don't pick up on those receptors doesn't mean they're not there. It's a deeper layer of reality that I don't have the capacity to visualize or to hear or to feel, but they're there. It's all within the same realm. So it's really about being able to see that deeper layer. Hello, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Today's episode is sponsored in honor of the 37th wedding anniversary of Yasef and Bossy Deitch, l'chaim to many more healthy and happy years together. Thank you to the Deitches for making today's episode happen. If you are listening to this and love human and holy, consider sponsoring an episode in honor of a birthday, yard site, wedding anniversary, someone you love, your sponsorships, keep human and holy coming back into the world every single week. Visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor to sponsor an episode or reach out to us at info at humanandholy.com. You can also visit our website to give in any amount. Your support keeps us going and growing. So thank you to each one of you who believes in this mission, listens, gives, and continues to bring it into the world. In today's episode, we have Malki Janowski, who is the principal of Rorbeis Chaya Academy in Florida. And today she shares her personal journey to Hasidus. What is it about Hasidus that has transformed the way she sees herself and the world? And why are the nuances? of our outlook on life, so significant in the way we choose to show up in the world. Hi, so happy to be here. My name is Malki Janowski. I currently am a principal of Vorbeis High Academy, which is a Lubavitch Girls High School in South Florida. And pretty typical life. I grew up on Shluchas here in Coral Springs, Florida. And for high school, I actually went to Beis Yaakov, which... I think in retrospect really gave me a lot of insight into being able to see just what the differences are when you have Hasidus as part of your mindset versus when you don't. Part of your mindset, part of your lifestyle. I always tell, you know, whenever this comes up, I tell my students, I'm a proud Beis Yaakov girl. I think I always will be. And I'm very grateful for the experience that I had. But one of the most important things that I think I got out of it was an incredible appreciation for what Hasidus gives us. I also know that growing up, I wouldn't say that I learned Hasidus formally that much, not more than any other kid, and certainly much less probably than a girl who went to a regular Lubavitch elementary school. It was a Lubavitch school, but very much a day school. And like there weren't really other Lubavitch kids in the class per se, but I know just in our home, it wasn't a formal sit-down thing at all. But Hasidus is very much a part of the way my father in particular relates to the world. He loves learning Hasidus and he shared a lot in a very informal, organic, natural kind of way. 
Um, because of that, there were a lot of things that I think I just sort of absorbed, not because I learned them necessarily in a formal way, but because it was just sort of there in the atmosphere or something that would be shared at the Shabbos table or occasionally like we would sit down and learn a sicha, but it was mostly not that. It was mostly just kind of the excitement of, you know, it says this amazing thing and like it would just be shared or just again, like I said, it's sort of a, a way of looking at things or just in the atmosphere. So I feel like despite not having gone to a school, both for elementary school and for high school, where Hasidus was taught as in a very formal, organized, um, structured way, I think that my childhood really, really provided a tremendous foundation for appreciating Chassidus. Such a good lesson as a parent of how to transmit like a love and a passion for Chassidus in a way that you're embodying, like just sharing his worldview and his excitement. Was there a time when you began to study it formally that it became more of a conscious awareness of what Chassidus was for you? I said that in elementary school, it was very much a day school. However, we did in, I think, seventh and eighth grade, we did have a chassidus class once or twice a week. So I knew some specific terms from there and then just, you know, from growing up, from hearing it. So when I was in ninth grade, I don't remember why or how, but a discussion came up with my principal, who was actually taking over our class at the time, about, he didn't use these words, but it was basically about simsum kapshutai or like kapshutai, which basically means that there is this idea in Kabbalah that in order to create the world, Hashem had to restrict himself. The, Alter, the Arizal writes about this, and what the Altarebbe explains is that this restriction, number one, is not really real, it's an illusion. And number two, it isn't even an illusion that pertains to Hashem's essence. It's about the extension of godliness of Elikos, the Aryan Saif. And that's a very different view than saying Hashem actually restricted himself. Practically, the difference is that if you say Hashem actually restricted himself, what you're saying is that this is a space that is truly devoid of Hashem's being. And Hasidah says that's not the case at all. There's no such thing. And again, I don't remember how or why, but somehow this discussion came up that, and my principal is just kind of saying it as a fact that Hashem had to remove himself to create the space for the world. And I was like, I didn't know the word Simpson Kapshutai or like Kapshutai. But I, I knew that couldn't be right. And we got into a whole argument back and forth. I think that was like a very crystallizing moment for me that this is real, actually. Like these ideas are very real and really impact the way we, we think and we look at the world. And the next day, actually, my principal called me over. He said, you know, I don't want to prolong the discussion. But, you know, this was one of the, like the major contention points between the Altarab and the Vilna Gain. Wow. Which I had not known the day before, but in the intervening time, I'd gone home and shared this with my parents. So I kind of got a larger education on that. So yes, at that point I knew it, but that definitely was like a moment for me to realize that it's the loftiest of concepts and it just sort of came up in conversation and really in the way we looked at it, that you cannot say that because there's a table here and a chair and a computer, that those items are pushing away Hashem's presence. Hashem's presence has to be able to be contained within all of this versus the perspective that, no, that is pushing away Hashem's presence. And that does impact the way, it impacts something like Hashem's practice, for example, because if you understand that Hashem's presence is here in a, such a real way, then it, it almost, it works to say that He is directing everything that's going on. If you don't see Hashem's presence here in that way, then it does make a lot of sense to say, well, no, not really. Like Hashem decides like big things. There are major decisions that are made, but not necessarily the waving of every blade of grass like the Baal Shem teaches. So 
that was definitely a moment, I suppose. Okay, nice. So I would love to ask you, like, when you think of your worldview being shaped by Hasidus, what is that worldview that you hold of the world that, like, colors the way you see everything? I think of Hasidus as X-ray vision. I feel like if you look at the world, you see the surface of what the world is, just the way it appears to us here in this world, with our physical eyes, with our physical experiences, with our very ego-driven lens. And I don't mean that in a negative way, that we have an ego-driven lens. It's just reality where our whole approach and relationship to everything is basically, what do I get out of it? Not in a negative way, but do I like it? Do I not like it? Does it bring me pleasure? Is it something I want more of? Is it something I want to stay away from? Is it something that I should engage in or should not engage in? That's kind of how we're programmed. So we see the world that way. And that's the surface layer. Any from Yid who has Tyra is privileged to have an even deeper layer. And by a deeper layer, I mean that you can see that this isn't just an apple. This isn't just a water bottle. There is more of, can I use it in the way that Hashem wants me to use it? And there is like good choices we can make and bad choices we can make. And then Hasidus is just a whole deeper view where there are layers upon layers within reality that are not the physical reality that I see, but I know that they're there. And Really, with the study of Hasidus, what we're trying to do, I think, is train our perception to be able to start to perceive a deeper layer. And there's so many ways that this could come out. I think one that is so powerful is a custom, and Tanya talks about this, just accustoming yourself to trying to see the nefesh, the ruchnius, the spiritual aspect of everything. Everything has its physical manifestation, but then there's its spiritual reality. And when you apply that to other people, try to see people as their neshama and not just as how they present in their, not just physical body, but their idiosyncrasies and their quirks and, you know, whatever there is about them, if you see them as an ashama, that is just mind altering, honestly. When you see the world that way, there's just so many layers going on. And this is something when I teach Chassidus, I try to get across to my students that we speak about these higher realms or other worlds. We don't mean that there is somewhere else. If you want to draw this visually, it will look like here's us, and then there's a world above, and then a world above, and a world above, and that's not how it is. It's layers. We're all layers are here simultaneously, and we don't necessarily have the receptors to pick up on those higher realities, but they're there. Kind of like if I walk into a room, I couldn't tell you if there's Wi-Fi there because I just don't have the ability to pick up on that. I have a tool my phone that would be able to read, are there Wi-Fi signals here? Because my phone has those receptors. But the fact that I don't pick up on those receptors doesn't mean they're not there. It's a deeper layer of reality that I don't have the capacity to visualize or to hear or to feel, but they're there. It's all within the same realm. So it's really about being able to see that deeper layer. And I actually, this year, one of my students as part of a program for Yotis Kislev, she painted this beautiful picture of it's a little hard to describe, but like the top half of it or the top two thirds are just a typical street scene, an outdoor scene, a street, houses, cars. And then underneath that, she painted the words, the Hebrew letters that make up the words of all of those items that were there. And the point of the painting is that you look at it and you see a house, you see a street, you see a car, you see a mailbox. But what is that actually? It is just a physical manifestation of Hashem speaking that thing. And it's the letters of the alphabets that comprise that word that are creating that item. That's what she depicted. So it's really that. It's that there is a whole deeper layer. And 
the amazing thing is, is that what that deeper layer really communicates to us, if we try to tune into it, is purpose. There's, there's just such tremendous purpose in everything and every moment. Because if Hashem is at this moment actively speaking that my computer should exist or that my phone should exist or that the glass of water in front of me should exist, then he's doing it for a reason. And my job is to figure out what that reason is. But just the knowledge that it's not here because I put it here 10 minutes ago and why should it leave? You know, nobody moved it. No, it's here because it's being actively put here. That's an amazing thing. And that's really just one idea of chassidus. But there's so many different facets. So when I say x-ray vision, like so many sikhais, if, you know, you learn the Rebbe's view about a typical story in Chumash, whatever the story is that you've learned since you were three and four and five and six and seven, and the Rebbe comes up with a totally different, not just approach, but understanding of what really went on here. It's x-ray vision. You've seen so deeply beyond the surface. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Everybody's, I think, learned different things and seen this with different parts of Tyra. Another group of students did figure it's a slave where they just called from different, it wasn't one subject, even different subjects, Tanya, Sichas, like other areas in the curriculum where there is the story or the event or whatever it seems to be entire on the surface and what it really means on a deeper level. And their point was showing that there are so many things in Tyra that it's very hard to understand the relevance. Like one of the examples they used is there is a mimer based on the incident that before B'nai Yisrael entered Eretz Yisrael, Yeshua sends spies to check out the city of Yerichai. It's like the opening city. That's where they're going to go first. So he sends spies. And if you're learning it, you know, you can learn lessons about why he sent them or how he sent them or how he chose those two individuals particularly and what they did and how they did it. But it basically is a story of military strategy. And again, you can like glean lessons from details in it. There is a mimer that the rabbi explains a whole deeper view that, yeah, that happened. But what it's also telling us is a story about how we conquer ourselves and what in our own psyches we do have control over and what we don't have control over and what the relevance is of that. And the fact that we can control something is not just because we're limited, but actually because that when you do take control of that, it is so much more effective and impactful that, that, that's x-ray vision. You've just attributed or gleaned from something an entirely different view than you would have had otherwise. I love how you used the example of a Wi-Fi receptor because you come into a room and you can't access the Wi-Fi without the tool that you have to recognize if it's even there. So that brings me to just wondering, like what by your estimation would be the best way to cultivate a receptor to the godly reality? Because even though so many of us know that we can have x-ray vision into the world and see beyond the surface when you are actually moving through life, not when you're in middle of learning. When I think when you're in middle of learning, you're like, I see the x-ray vision. But then when you're moving through life, how can you access that receptor and that x-ray vision? The way it should be accessed at all. It's, it's a lifelong process for everybody. But definitely the more you learn, the more you start to see this. And actually, I think when people hear the words, the more you learn, a lot of times we think in more things, you know, like learn another piece of chassidus, learn another sicha, another mimer. And absolutely, there's truth to that. Learn as much as you can. But what I have found to be so powerful is learning things again, the same thing again and again and again. There are parts of chassidus that I've not just learned, but taught for 15 years in a row. And it's interesting because by nature, actually, I like to finish and progress and like learn something else and learn something else. Like when I start something, I always look to see how long it is because I want to know, you know, how quickly I can get it done. And then I want to get to the next thing. 
but the experience of learning something again and again and again is so profound. Tyra is infinite and Hasidus is like even just more of that infinity. So you think you know it and then you learn it again. And in all honesty, there are things that, like I said, I've taught for 15 years straight. And the 15th time, I'm like, I never knew that. I never realized that. It's just a whole new wisdom that was always there, but you just weren't picking up on. So for sure, it's learning more in depth, learning it again and again and again, which actually I think the first time I realized the power of that was when I was in seminary for, I think it was We I was on the committee that was arranging the program. And part of the program was like an hour long session where there were four different rooms set up and the girls were divided into four groups and they spent 15 minutes in each room and a person from the committee sort of manned each room. So I was in the room where they learned a sikha. It was a very short sikha that I had picked. So I'd learned it before to decide that, you know, this would fit into the time slot and it was a good, sharp, but short point, easy to go through. And I stayed in the room that whole time. So I, like I said, I'd already learned it before. And then while I was actually running that room, so to speak, I didn't really have anything to do. So I just learned it again. And then I learned it again. And then I learned it again, like literally three times in a row. And it was incredible. I would never have thought to do that because I would have been like, okay, I learned it now I'm done. But just the layers that you uncover and the wisdom that you can tap into when you do it again is incredible just in terms of its power. So that is one thing. However, like really, and Hasidus explains this at length, that pretty much everything comes down to contemplation and really sitting with an idea, allowing it to permeate your consciousness, what we call chassidus espainenos. And if you think about what is chassidus chabad, most of us know this, but I don't know if we necessarily take the time to really practically consider the ramifications that chabad is chachman bin adas, because the Alter Rebbe's entire approach was that you use your mind to shape and to guide your Avaitis Hashem. You need to feel love for Hashem. You need to feel awe of Hashem. Use your mind to do that. That is why Hasidus is so organized intellectually. That's why there is a Sefer called Tanya that is so systematically built up. It is so sequential. Just the whole buildup, the fact that there are hundreds and hundreds of volumes of Hasidus is because this is, it's a study. And what it reiterates over and over is that you have to really sit with the ideas. You can't just learn them. You have to. And I think that's also why learning it again and again helps because it is kind of a form of espionus where you're reacquainting yourself with this concept again and again and again. Espionus is really just contemplating that idea. And it's kind of hard to say in today's world, especially we're so fast paced. Like, what do you mean? Just like sit and think. I do think that a lot of it also is if you want like the Hispaninus light version, I would say it's mindfulness, just trying to be mindful. Like I mentioned earlier about trying to see people as their neshama versus whatever the external layer is. You can meditate on that for sure. And that would be probably a very powerful thing to do. But even if you just try to be mindful that when I talk to people, when I speak to them, when I think about what they need, that I just try to be aware that there is this godly spark inside of them. Just having that mindfulness or about, you know, anything that you're interacting with, that is, again, very powerful because, like you said, it's not just when you learn, you're drawing that into the rest of your life. So, I would say those two things, learning chassidus, not just a lot of it, but learning it a lot, repeatedly, and 
trying to take whatever time you have to let the idea sit in your mind, really, really sit with them. You have these moments where, you know, you have a flash of, wow, like the world is different than I thought it was based on this new concept and trying to bottle that up. Like this is also something it's a privilege to be able to experience as a teacher because the way a student perceives something can be number one, very different than the way you saw it, but also just that experience of their excitement when they learn something and you weren't particularly excited about the idea just because it is an exciting idea, but you just weren't in that mode right now and you get it from them. That's tremendous energy right there. That I think also when you share chassidus, you get to sort of re-experience that wow factor, which is another really amazing thing. Yeah. It's really great advice because I think a lot of people's instinct, if they are into learning Chassidus, is to try to amass information. But that's not at all the goal of learning Chassidus. It's to try to reprogram the way we see the world. So if you see it that way, then you could literally just focus on one parak of Tanya, one sicha, one mimer for a year. And that could be the only thing you learn. And it also, I think, takes the edge off of the struggle of cracking the text or whatever it is that prevents you from learning in general, because it's familiar to you. So you can just like read it over and over again and see what happens and how that impacts the way you see the world. I love that advice. So I want to ask you if you can share an example from your life where you've learned something, learned it over and over again, and attempted to intentionally incorporate it in your life when you weren't necessarily having, naturally having the x-ray vision and how that went, like a real example that you've had of this process. I would say that everything is sort of like a moment in and of itself, meaning I feel like, you know, we want to, not just you were saying about amassing information, there's definitely that drive that a lot of us have. And then there's also in a person's avida and our spiritual striving, we want to like reach a level and then have attained it. And, you know, then we're done. And, and now I'm here kind of like if I'm doing karate and I get my white belt and then my yellow belt, I don't even know the order. But like once I get that belt, I'm done. I've achieved that. And I, I think it's really not like that in this spiritual striving process. So for sure, yes, there are that times. I do remember once walking to Shul and just thinking about Parakmamalaf of Tanya, for example, the specific point that was sticking out to me was that Hashem has created this entire world, but he sort of puts all that on the side and he focuses on you and says, I did this all for you. You know, you being here is so crucially important that I didn't just create you, I created the whole world for you. And to focus on that fact that it's not just the physical world that Hashem is saying, you know, I'm ignoring, not ignoring, but I am hyper-focusing just on you to the exclusion of that, to the exclusion of all the, the supernal worlds, the upper worlds, the spiritual worlds, he puts those aside and I'm looking at you to see, are you doing what I put you in the world for? And when you think about this solidly for like five, 10 minutes, it's definitely, the, you know, there's going to be an internal shift. Now, does it last? Not necessarily. But I remember that walk because it was just like, wow. And for whatever length of time, you're doing it a little differently. You know, like there are different kinds, so to speak of Hispaninus, obviously, there is actually a thought process that I, I like to walk my students through. And when they're really focused on it, and it's quick, it's five minutes, but when they're really focused on it, you can see, I remember one girl saying after like, this is like blowing my mind or like Hashem has like a million brains was actually the way she put it because the focus was that the way that Hashem is able to contain everything is so beyond our capacity to know it's really a repeated process. I think it's not like something happened once and then you did it and you're done. It's a continual process. And, you know, you were saying that there is definitely this drive that we have 
to mass information. And really, you could just focus on the same thing and just keep knowing it better and more and more, more personally. I think if you think of it as like encoding, sort of, that there's layers and layers of code. So like you get the first layer and then you get the next layer and the next layer. And it's an infinite amount of coding, which is why you can sit with that same information for so long. It's not a single attainment or even a number of attainments where then you have reached a level and now you're there. It's absolutely we have a lot to contend with. That's the truth, because we're physical people. We live in a physical world, a world that is not just physical, but that is primarily not positive from a spiritual point of view. The spirituality is extremely concealed. And so it's really an uphill struggle all the time where we're really going against our nature and the nature of everything around us to become aware of this deeper reality that isn't easily perceivable. So it's something that you basically have to constantly do. I think similar to physical health, you never reach a state of health where like you're done and now you're healthy and now you can do whatever you want. No, you still have to eat properly and sleep and exercise. You're going to have to do that your whole life if you want to maintain it. And it's just very much the same with our spiritual striving. Yeah. I think that's a very important point. And I want to rephrase the question a little bit. I did not mean to ask about mastery, like have you mastered a specific idea, but just to see the integration. Because even though it is absolutely true that we will not master something, check, move on, kind of what you said about, you know, reaching a level in karate. But there are moments where even if just in the moment we were able to integrate this intellectual idea that we learned inside and then we were able to experience it in our lives. You gave the example of seeing someone as a neshama. So maybe with a student, or I don't know if you would want to go there as a teacher, but seeing someone who was struggling, who was being difficult with you, and then being able to access that awareness of their godly soul and how that shifted the interaction. So that would be an example of the integration of the idea, not necessarily the mastery, but just how it helped you shift in the moment a little bit outside of your human purview into more x-ray vision, as you said, which I loved. Right. Seeing someone as an ashama is definitely a strong example of that. I would say not just with my students, with my own children. It's a really, really honestly helpful thing to do, to be able to remember we have our difficult moments and there's a lot of stresses. And when you can just remember it, this is an ashama. And even more so with a child, with a student, not just, you know, person out there, but somebody who's really entrusted to your care. The idea that Hashem took this most precious neshama and gave it to me, he gave me some sort of a hold over it or something. I have a responsibility to nurture it. Yes, that has definitely helped me in real life moments. Something else is just seeing the world in a particular way. I'm not sure if this was caught, but there's a Hispaniness that I like to walk my students through, like a five minute thought process of you look at the world and you look at something very small and very concrete, like a square foot of grass or a couple of leaves on a tree and just take a minute to really notice the detail, really notice it. And then try to close your eyes And do you think without looking at that leaf or at that little patch of grass, would you be able to recreate it, as in draw it, in every single exact detail, every shade, every fluctuation of texture, every every bit of it? And nobody can. It's a huge amount of detail for us to contain in our minds. And what then we start expanding to is realizing how many leaves are there just on this tree and how many trees are there on this block. And you just expand that to the city, the state, the country, the world. None of these details are here because they were put here and then 
it's not like somebody painted a picture and now the picture exists and is static without their input. That's not the case. The world is not existing without Hashem's input. None of those details exist without Hashem's input. Hashem is containing all of this in his, so to speak, mind. It's a mind-blowing thing. Again, if you like sit with that idea for 10 minutes, truly mind-blowing. If you accustom yourself to thinking that, certainly like there are definitely moments when you can just look around and be like, whoa, you know, whoa. And it just for that moment, for sure, it gives you that just inner sense, that feeling of tuning into that deeper reality and then all the the practical impact that that comes along with in terms of how strong is your godly awareness at this particular moment in time. Yeah, that's very helpful, actually, because I do think that it gives you a little bit of perspective about what it means that Hashem is containing this entire world within His mind and recreating it at every moment. Right. And it actually kind of explains to us why the physical world is so complex and detailed. Maybe it's just for us to realize that, that leaves don't all look the same. Every leaf is different. And when you start to look at the detail in a leaf, it's truly mind-blowing. Yeah. Even when you mentioned physical health as an example of something that needs constant maintenance in the same way that our spiritual striving does, I was thinking, obviously, physical health has its own purpose in this world, but maybe part of its purpose is also just to help us understand what it means that growth and health in our life is going to require maintenance, you know, that like we're constantly striving in all areas. Everything can be used as a tool to better understand the godly reality. A hundred percent. And I mean, Chassid addresses this as well. We speak a lot about what goes on above is sort of a reflection of what goes on down here, but really it starts the other way around. Everything that exists in this physical world is just a physical manifestation of a higher spiritual reality. So 100%, every, not just thing, but every law of nature, even every physical reality, whether it's an item or a an axiom is representative of something. And absolutely, we can use that as a way to connect back up. What else is on your mind? I guess if we just have the moment to encourage learning Chassidus, it's an incredible gift that we have. It really, really is the ability to just tap into this awareness of a deeper reality. And like I said, it's not just a deeper reality. It's the purpose that it communicates to us is so meaningful, so life-changing. I think also I did not connect to Tanya for the first few years I learned it. It takes a lot of really intellectual maturity maybe being introduced to it in the way that speaks to you. And I think that also is something that's really helpful for everyone really to bear in mind that because our first experience or even if our second, third experiences might not have been meaningful or positive, that don't give up on it. There's so much in chassidus and there's so many approaches and there's so many different kinds of things to learn. And we also grow, we grow throughout our lives and sometimes we weren't ready for something. I have definitely had the experience of learning something when I was younger and then learning it five years later without having visited it in between and thinking, what did I even think it said five years ago? (laughs) Like, I, How did I (laughs) learn those words and not have the realization that I do now? We grow and we're we're ready to see and hear and understand different things. There's different approaches to serving Hashem. There's different lifestyles for everyone. I believe in that strongly. Like I said, I'm a proud based Yaakov girl. I think it's amazing, but I do believe strongly that Hasidus is for everyone, that we all need that. We need that understanding. We need that deeper perception. Even the example that you gave at the beginning with Simpson Kipshitai and Simpson like Kipshitai, how would you say like the difference in the way that you saw it and the way your teachers saw it impacts the way that you interact with the world? So I don't think it did then. Honestly, I was 14. But I do feel now that there 
is a difference between understanding. And again, you can have the understanding that is not part of your like daily awareness. And, you know, in all honesty, I can't say it's part of my daily awareness all the time, for sure not. But there are those moments when you do have that much stronger sense and perception right now that Hashem is here right now. And that is a whole different level of obligation of what is expected for me at this moment. It's very powerful in the sense that this is so intentional. It's again, it's not like somebody made a painting and left it here. And you know, the truth is maybe if he was repainting now, he would have done something different. Maybe the couch would have been purple and not red, or, you know, maybe he wouldn't have included that person, or maybe he would have included some more people. No, Hashem is doing it now. He's here now. There is so much intention in that. As soon as you bring to your awareness the fact that there is such intentionality in this moment, it just begs the question of, well, why? What is Hashem's plan for me right now? There are so many times in our lives where there are always like competing demands and things that we want to do versus things we have to do and things that others expect us to do and things that we think might be a good idea to do, but we really don't want to do. And the more you're aware of the fact that right now, right this moment, not just you, but you, the situation, all the competing factors, they're all here on purpose, that it just sheds a different light on situations. And, and again, I can't emphasize this enough. This is a lifelong process, but it's the more we have that awareness, the more of that sense of obligation there is. And it's not just a sense of obligation. It's also a sense of purpose. You mentioned like having so many competing demands, interests, being pulled in so many different areas, but believing that all those things were put there for a reason by Hashem intentionally for your life and are connected to your purpose. How do you figure out in the moment what exactly Hashem is calling you to do when there are so many different factors that can't all be tended to at once? I wouldn't say that I have any kind of answer to that at all, (laughs) truthfully. I wish I did. It would make my life a lot easier. There's two things. There's figuring out what am I supposed to do now? And then there's actually having the strength to pull through with it. But in the figuring out itself, I don't think there's a black and white formula. I'm sure if there was, then somebody would have shared it long ago. You know, obviously there's there's the things we all know, speak to someone else. This is where Mashbia can be really helpful. Sometimes you try to like step out of the situation and sort of look at it like as if I was a holier person, I guess for lack of better words, what choice do I think I would make? That can be helpful too. But it's more the awareness that it's not just a crazy situation. I might not know what the correct answer is and that can be frustrating. It is frustrating. But I know that yeah. There is a plan here. So even if I'm having a hard time figuring it out, I know it's not just like this random coincidence that just somehow happened and all these things happen to be on the same date. No, that's not the case. That awareness itself, I think, does a lot for just the fact that you feel the need to say, one second, I need to figure this out. Or I need to try to figure it out. The point was not for me to just like retreat, go back to bed and, and wake up in the morning when it's all gone. There is a reason here. And the belief that it happened for a reason nice. is, and this is part of mainstream Yiddishkeit, I want to say. This isn't an, an innovation of Hasidus, not at all. But in most areas, I think where everything that Hasidus teaches is sourced in the nigla and the revealed part of Tyra, it's it's all there. It's just a deeper layer. So yeah, sure, everybody, every from yeah believes that everything happens for a purpose, but there is, yes, it happens for a purpose. And then there is understanding 
how do I know that it happened for a purpose? Like, what, how do I find purpose? Well, when you believe that it's all being recreated every single second, that's a very different understanding of there's a purpose in it. It's not just like this conceptual, it happened for a purpose. It's, there's a very famous story that I really love of the Alter Rebbe when he first went to study in Mizrich by the Mizrich Magid. But this is also just to, I guess, sort of step out for a second. I find that so fascinating that we think of like the biggest chassidim and like the best and the brightest as having been like born into it and raised that way from the cradle. I find it so empowering to remember that the Alter Rebbe chose on his own to go to learn chassidus. He was not brought up that way. You know, he wasn't born into it. Yes, his father was a student of the Baal Shem Tev, but he it wasn't like it wasn't like a family expectation. He had to make a choice: should I go to the Vilna or should I go to Mizrach? And his father-in-law was really not a fan. And when he came back, his father-in-law was like, well, you know, "What did you even learn there?" And he said, "I learned that there is a God." And the father-in-law was like, "What? That's what you gained?" And he calls over the maid in the house, who was a simple Jewish woman, and he said, "Is there a God?" And she said, "Of course. You know, Hashem created the heaven and earth." And he said, "Look, even she knows." And Valtrava said, "No, she believes. I know. It's just a very different kind of knowledge and understanding." That's good. She believes. I know. That's what Chassidus does for you. It gives you this knowing that's like more than just, yeah. I don't want to say just a belief, but it's more than a belief. It's a knowing that you are able to develop. Mm -hmm. That's very powerful. Yeah. So let's end off with your advice on how to cultivate that knowing. You were talking about learning Chassidus. And I know that that's very often the advice that's given because Chassidus is our life source, our source of life. And it is often the answer for people to develop this godly awareness. Is there anything in particular, like any specific spot in Chassidus or a specific learning practice that you think could help someone develop this knowing and this real feeling of Hashem's reality in the world? Not really, because it's all so amazing, honestly. It's like pick your favorite child kind of thing. I think also, you know, different people relate to different things and like different things. So let's say, for example, Tanya is incredible in terms of the self-awareness that it provides. Really, it's an unbelievable, incredibly structured, just amazing. If you want to truly understand why we are the way we are, the human mind, human struggle, and what we're supposed to do about it. There is a sefer that I love called Darach Mitzvah which is so, so different. It's written by the Samach Sadek. It's very heavy, actually, on the more Kabbalistic side. But what it does is it goes through different mitzvahs and explains what's going on in the cosmic realm, spiritually speaking, when you do these things. And that is, it's wow. It's incredible. Very, very different subject matter, very different approach. But it's amazing if, you know, if that's what interests you. There's other parts of Hasidus, like, let's say, Sichais, right? Which, again, very different approach. But to teach you how do the Rebbe see the Tyra and how Tyra is so much more relevant than we ever dreamed. And that, you know, you have an understanding of something and the truth of the matter is so far beyond that. That is amazing. Like, Sichais are incredible. There's also other parts of Hasidus, like the more... I guess what we'd consider like the really esoteric, really lofty stuff where, you know, you're not, not even sure what the connection is to anything relevant, so to speak, except for the fact that you are, it's kind of like unzipping layers of heaven. It's like just a, a glimpse into an inner reality. My father shared this with me once a long time ago that I guess we were talking about Chassidus. 
but he he mentioned then he was learning a hemshech. I'm guessing it was probably Samachvav, like a long, long, when I mean long, it's set across several years, just very deep, very, very deep, where again, it's so concentrated on godly matters, on supernal matters, on Kabbalah, where like, again, you're not even sure what this has to do with anything. And he actually said to me, he said, there are parts that he truly doesn't even not that he doesn't understand, he can tell you what it says, but he doesn't understand because they're about ideas that are so far out of our realm. One of the actually first things that my father teaches, he teaches Hasidus as well. One of the first things he teaches in sort of a structured curriculum is that Hasidus is a secret. It's a secret because it deals with the spiritual reality. And we're physical and we live in a physical realm. So we're very limited in our understanding of spiritual realities. So ultimately, it's a secret for us. Like we have to really delve deeply and try to understand it. But kind of coming with that understanding. This doesn't speak to the way we see the world naturally. So he shared with me, like the part of, I guess, that he was up to, he said different kinds of enjoyment that a neshama can have in Elam Haba versus Ganeidin, like very hard for a physical human body to really have any conception of what that's talking about. Again, you can repeat the words, but it's very hard to relate to it. And then he said, but the truth is like, what does Chassidus do? And he told me that the first time or Mendel Fritofas was on a plane, as the plane lifted up into the air, you look down out the window and what you see is that the ground beneath you gets smaller and smaller. And Rabendel said that apparently the more you lift yourself up out of the world, the smaller the world becomes. And that's what the experience of learning Hasidus is, I think any kind of Hasidus, it lifts you up. Whatever safer world you're learning, whatever kind of Hasidus you're learning, in whatever format you're learning it, it lifts you out of the world and then the world becomes smaller. It's everything about your physical mundane life that seems so important is now a little less important. And again, maybe it's only for five minutes and then you need to go back and learn some more, but it just takes you into a different reality. I'm thinking when the world becomes smaller, you gain perspective on it. Because really, like we want to be consumed in the world, but just with that perspective. So like if we could come back down into the world in all its bigness, where it all does feel so significant, but maintaining that perspective that we received when we were lifted up, then we really get to have that fusion. Thank you. This was beautiful. I really appreciated hearing from you on how Hasidus has impacted your life. And it was great to meet you. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoy talking about Hasidus. It's very fun for me. Turning on our internal Wi-Fi receptors for godliness. Developing an X-ray vision to the purpose inherent in every moment. Living with an airplane view of our lives and mission while still having our feet planted deeply in the ground. God is with you. He is recreating the world you live in at every moment. Can you lean in to the X-ray vision of your soul? There is purpose in our every moment. Hasidus does not create that for us. It just awakens us to the reality that is already there. Elokai <laughs> zakinina Betoatra ou vimitotecha 
מחברת נשמתי תמיד אליך, מחבר, מחבר. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Hasidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.